One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey there again, my friend, and welcome to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast, this time for November 2019. It's our 73rd edition of the program here, and once again, I am Clint Davis. I talk movies and TV here on the show every month, and uh, what's out there streaming on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and everywhere else, it seems like uh, with now Apple has joined in, and everyone's talking about cracking down on passwords, and Disney's about to join the game this week, so... It's uh, and NBC is going to join the game anytime soon. So everyone's got to have their own like special subscription-based platform. HBO is going to launch a new thing that's going to have shows that aren't even HBO shows on it, like South Park. And I don't even know where to begin. So we're just going to continue as we've been doing on this show for years now, talking about what's out there for you, what's streaming right now. So, uh, like I said, I'm Clint Davis. I talk movies and TV. I do it from my closet in beautiful Columbus, Ohio. In a little bit, we'll be hearing from my friend and yours, Andy Sedlak, who uh, talks music from his, well, I guess now it's he, he's upgraded a little bit. It's his spare room, I think, in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I want to remind you again to follow me on Instagram. If you're not already, I'm at Mr. Clint Davis. And if you follow me there, you'll see in my Instagram stories what I'm watching as I'm watching them. I always put a little picture of the screen and tell you what I'm watching. Sometimes with a little commentary, not usually though, just uh, commentary free, just simply here. You can get a a glimpse into what it is that I'm checking out. So, uh, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. If and if you've seen anything that I'm watching, or if you've wondered about if it's good or not, I'll tell you uh, in a message if uh, I recommend it to you or not. So hit me up there at Mr. Clint Davis. I'm also on Twitter at the same name, Mr. Clint Davis. That's usually where I'll uh, I post more about sports and stuff uh, there. But uh, sometimes I'm talking about movies and TV there as well, usually about the business of those kinds of things. Um, all right, let me go ahead and light up my stogie here. I'm sitting in the closet, like I, like always. Uh, what do I have here? A little Connecticut smoke. Here we go. All right, we're off and rolling. I'm getting over a, a cold I had last month. So, uh, or last week, I should say, just, uh, I've had it for about the last seven, eight days and not been feeling great. So my, uh, I, I feel a little congested. I feel like I sound bad, but I'm not, I'm not sure I do. I listen back to the, 
to, you know, my little sound check and it didn't sound too bad. So hopefully to you, you don't notice too much of a difference, but a little bit, a little bit under the weather uh, this week, but it's not going to slow me down at all. All right, let's go ahead and jump in as we always do and talk about uh, what we consider to be the greatest TV show theme songs of all time. And uh, in a little segment we call the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. And this is our 46th entry into the canon of the greatest TV show theme songs ever. And it's finally starting to get really cold, at least out here in Ohio it is. So I figured we could use a TV theme song that's going to heat things up a little bit. And if this segment were called the coolest TV show theme song of all time this week, we probably would have already inducted this one in the first couple weeks, months of doing this segment, along with the themes from like The Sopranos and The Wire and a few others. Our, but... It, it's not called that. It's just called the greatest. So that's why we've had to wait a little bit to get this one in here. Also, I hadn't heard it until, you know, a little bit more recently. But for our 46th entry into the canon, it's the opening tune from 1998's Cowboy Bebop. I think it's time to blow this scene. Get everybody in the stuff together. Okay, three, two, one, it's jam. Yes, if you know anything about this show, we're going all the way to Japan for this inductee. We've gone to Japan before. We did the Pokemon theme uh, a couple years ago, so that was one of our early entries. But we're going to go back now to Japan for this one. Cowboy Bebop is maybe the most accessible anime series ever for American audiences. And part of that is because the style of the show is so heavily influenced by American media, American music, American movies, TV, everything else. I mean, the fashion, it's, it's kind of all just influenced by American media. The whole series looks and feels like Quentin Tarantino doing sci-fi at kind of his most inspired. And the soundtrack is loaded with songs that sound like bop-style jazz that was, you know, America's most popular form of music in the 1950s. And you can hear that influence, specifically the jazz influence, in this theme song. The Cowboy Bebop theme is called Tank. So it actually has a name that's not just called the Cowboy Bebop theme. So if you're trying to look it up, it's called Tank. And it was written by a woman named Yoko Kano, who wrote the entire score for Cowboy Bebop. And this woman is clearly a very smooth operator because her score is one of the best parts of this entire show, which is a show that's full of great parts. So this isn't like some crappy show and it's just got good music. This is a great show, and the music happens to be maybe the best part of the entire show because it's just so fitting all the way through. I, I love what Yoko Kano does with all the chances she gets uh, in this series. She just seems to perfectly marry you know, great music with great moments, and it's original music. It's not... Uh, it's not stuff that's already out there that she's just picking out and putting on the soundtrack. Um, and this theme song especially just really blew me away the first time I ever watched the show. Tank was performed by a group called the Seatbelts, which Kano actually put together herself to perform the music for the series. I 
I mean, you really cannot go wrong with a steady diet of stand-up bass, bongos, and saxophone, which is basically what drives this entire theme song from start to finish. And the visuals that play out over it are just as thrilling and fast-paced. Um, if you can imagine that, what's going on with this music, it's really, really stylish and slick opening to watch. And it's one of those that, again, I talk about this a lot in this segment. It's an opening that I never skip. So I recommend that you check out the opening credits on YouTube if you haven't already seen them. Just search Cowboy Bebop opening credits. Uh, and you're going to love it. It's really cool. It just goes with this music so well. But the music works on its own as well. Now, Cowboy Bebop itself, if you've never seen it, it's a sci-fi series, animated sci-fi series, about a ragtag group of bounty hunters and this teenage hacker who all live together on a spaceship called the Bebop. And it's an adult show. It's not a show for kids. It's not a show for teenagers even because, I mean, there's a lot of heady stuff that they get into here. And there's some pretty heavy violence um, in a lot of ways. I mean, people dying on screen. It's not just like, uh, you know, one of those cartoons where, People may be shooting at each other, but there's no blood or anything, and nobody ever gets killed. People just kind of get hurt. This is a show where people get killed, and it's uh, there are some real consequences to the violence in this series. Um, and, and basically, like I said, it's this group of bounty hunters and this hacker. They're on a spaceship together, and they have a dog on there as well. And they try to take on like a different high-paying contract every episode. And, of course, they always end up losing out on the payday somehow, which is basically kind of every episode ends up that way. Like, they're going to get rich on this big bounty that's being broadcast on TV. So all the bounty hunters in the galaxy are, like, trying to get this one bounty. And they're really skilled, so they usually end up getting there and having a good chance to get it. But something ends up happening invariably that causes them to lose the money that they were going to make. Like, they'll end up causing a bunch of damage to something, so whatever money they make has to get paid back immediately to fix the damage they caused and stuff like that. Just things, just bad luck all the way around. So it keeps them in perpetual poverty with hardly a scrap of food on board the ship at any time. So they end up just having to take jobs really to just feed themselves instead of being the rich bounty hunters that they hope to be. Um, and the episodes are half hour each. Uh, everyone is very fast paced, fast paced, tells a different unique story about whatever criminal they're tracking. And it gets deeper into the kind of tough lives and backstories of the main characters as well. All of whom are really colorful and interesting. It's a great cast of characters and it's really fun to ride along with them. <laughs> I started watching Cowboy Bebop on Hulu uh, about six months ago, and I immediately fell in love with it. The entire series is there. It's only one season, 26 episodes. You can watch it either in Japanese with uh, English subtitles, or you can watch it in English. Um, and I actually watched it in English. I usually, I don't do that. Whenever I watch anime, I always watch it in Japanese with English subtitles. But this one I had read that the English, uh, the guy who created the show actually thought that the English actors did an even better job than the Japanese actors, which is crazy uh, to think of. And I can see why, because it's just so tight and the animation fits with what they're saying. Like it's, there's not a bunch of overlap. So it looks really good. Like it, it looks like a show almost that could have been done in English. And especially with all the American influences in it, like I said, uh, it's really just easy show to get into as far as an anime goes. 
And those can be kind of hard to, to jump into um, if you've never gotten into them. But this one's really accessible for anyone who's never watched anime before, who just likes action, sci-fi, cinema, uh, and, and comedy, too. There's a lot of comedy in this show. It's really, really funny in a lot of places. Uh, but the animation is just full of style, full of grit. Um, like I said, the voice acting, absolutely spot on. The music is wonderful. The, the plots are mature and unique as well fun experimental it's not just the same kind of story every month or every week i should say you guys know that i love a show that experiments a little bit with the form of television and cowboy bebop really does that they have some episodes that are very claustrophobic um like think that episode of breaking bad with where it's just uh jesse and walt looking at the the fly in the lab the entire hour i mean they have that kind of stuff in this show, two episodes that'll just completely throw the form out the window and it'll be a new kind of thing. And then next week, it's back to what you were more used to. So I really like shows that do that kind of stuff. And Cowboy Bebop's one of them. So it's on Hulu now. Definitely recommend you checking it out. If you've never gotten into anime, I especially recommend you checking this show out. If you're already into anime, that you've probably already seen Cowboy Bebop. I'm sure it's old hat to you. I mean, it's such a classic and such a highly regarded rated show. I mean, it's known as typically one of the best TV shows to ever come out of Japan, regardless of form. Um, and especially in anime, it's kind of legendary at this point, even though it just came out in 1998, which kind of makes it feel almost a little, little new uh, in my eyes, especially compared to some of the shows that we've done on this, uh, on this segment. Uh, like I said, only 26 episodes from start to finish. It, uh, this this show reminds me a lot of uh, those road buddy movies that, you know, who doesn't love those? Just the buddies out on the road, meeting interesting characters along the way, trying to get to that, whatever de that destination is. The destination for them in this show is just to become rich. But uh, that seems to always just kind of be a little bit, a little bit out of reach. But it's all set in this like shitty future in space where everything's just broken down, dusty, nothing really works that well. So it's it's not, but it is pretty to look at, you know, for you as far as the animation goes, but it's really like just bad landscapes and stuff. Nothing's really beautiful as far as where they're set. And even the, the ship itself, the Bebop, is a big hunk of junk, basically, uh, that constantly needs repairs. Tons of great action sequences, though. A lot of shootouts, a lot of chases in space. So if you like that kind of stuff, you'll really love this show. And like I said, quick watch, 26 episodes, all on Hulu. But Tank by Yoko Kano, the theme song from Cowboy Bebop. That's our pick for the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. And TV shows like Cowboy Bebop are what I would kind of call visceral television shows. You know, those uh, action series that really just exist to kind of get you like hyped to just get your adrenaline going when you're watching like a great action movie does. And, and not all action movies are able to pull that off. Not all action series are able to pull that off, but shows like Cowboy Bebop shows like 24 is one that I always think of lost. Even I always think of as kind of this way, cause there was just so much action going on in that show. And it kind of made you sit on the edge of your seat, literally uh, a lot of times. So I'm going to talk about a show now that I just finished watching. Speaking of Hulu, this is a series that is uh, streaming only right now on Hulu, all seven seasons of it. It is FX's The Shield. It ran originally from 2002 to 2008, and I just finally got around to it. It was one of those shows I had always had on my list, always wanted to watch it because I always love a good police series. Um, and I got to tell you, I mean, this is 
immediately uh, going to be right on the top of my list of the absolute best TV series of all time. I mean, I'm talking about The Wire. I'm talking about NYPD Blue. I'm talking about uh, Hill Street Blues. Just the best show set in the world of police uh, and, and detectives and stuff like that that you've ever seen. So some TV shows, I mean, they're great for your mind. You know, I mean, it's all about thinking. Some of them are great for your soul. They make you feel good about whatever's going on. They inspire you. But some shows, like I said, are just visceral and exciting in a way that you feel throughout your entire body. I mean, they can make you audibly gasp when you see certain things. They make you sit forward or turn away from the screen based on whatever it is that you're seeing at a moment. Um, and The Shield is definitely one of those shows. And I would say if you looked up visceral TV in the, def in the dictionary, you'd probably see a picture of uh, Vic Mackey in The Shield because this is like visceral television at its best. Like think of the most intense moment from whatever show you love. And whether it was the moment in The Sopranos when um, Tony had to go over to the passenger side of his car after a certain car wreck and he had to dispose of a certain character uh, when they were just a second ago driving down the road listening to Van Morrison on the radio. You think about that moment. You think about the moment in Breaking Bad when Jesse, it looks like, is about to get killed and then all of a sudden a car runs over the guy and Walt gets out and drops some of the most badass lines you've ever heard on TV. You think about the way those scenes kind of made you feel. That's like what The Shield is like every single episode. This show is so intense and relentless for seven seasons of television. I was just like blown away and I could not wait to watch every single episode of the show. I had such a blast watching The Shield from start to finish. So a little background though. A few years after The Sopranos changed TV forever and kind of made HBO the talk of the TV industry and made TV into this thing where it was like cinematic level storytelling. In a weekly format, big budget, good, great looking episodes that look like movies, acting that was, I mean, better than what you could see in most movies on a weekly basis, character, you know, depths that were being plumbed uh, of unlikable people that you were feeling like you needed a root for. I mean, all these things that the Sopranos pioneered and that have become so commonplace now in TV. This was a couple years later. So that Sopranos started in 1999, really cranked up in like 2000, got, you know, to become the best show on TV at the time. Uh, but so The Shield kicks off in 2002. I don't think this show comes out if The Sopranos hadn't come out before it. FX quickly followed on its heels, on HBO's heels, in becoming cable TV's best network. So while HBO was the talk of TV, FX quickly became kind of the talk of cable TV and what a lot more people were able to watch because even though HBO was at its peak in those early 2000s years and had so many of these great shows, you know, I mean, a lot of people still didn't want to really subscribe, pay an extra monthly fee just to watch one channel, just to watch a handful of shows for 12 weeks out of the year. But FX, pretty much anyone who had a cable subscription had FX. So it was a lot more accessible and they were still telling some great stories. I honestly think it can be argued that FX has had a more impressive run than HBO overall in the past 20 years. In terms of Emmys, HBO wins it easily, but FX has taken a lot of chances on some really interesting shows and has had to do it all under the eyes of FCC guidelines, unlike HBO. It's easy for HBO to get away with a lot of things because they don't, they don't have a master, really. It's just their subscribers. 
and they get all that subscription money in so they you know are able to have bigger budgets they're able to attract bigger time bigger name artists and things like that in to do their shows and take more chances uh, than other networks can do but you look at what FX has done under the eyes of the FCC in the last 20 years and you, and it shows like the Americans Fargo uh, Louie uh, Better Things, American Horror Story, Legion, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Archer, Justified. I mean, those are just like off the top of my head shows that are some of the best shows of their entire generations. And some of them are still on to this day after, you know, years of being on the air. People still want to see new stories from these shows. And these are all coming from one network. Um and have really picked up the slack a bit from HBO not cranking out kind of the incredible series that it was cranking out in the early to mid-2000s. I mean, HBO just couldn't miss from like 2000 to 2006. It was just constant great show after great show. Uh, and then I think HBO slowed down a little bit. Still some really good shows on there, obviously. I still consider Insecure to be, you know, probably the best comedy on TV. But... Uh, FX has been just nonstop and taking chances, telling different kinds of stories uh, and doing all kinds of different genres, uh, lots of good comedies, lots of good horror TV, which a lot of networks have not really done. Even HBO hasn't wanted to wade into horror television too much in the years since uh, Tales from the Crypt was on TV. But in 2002, The Shield was the show that really announced FX as a serious network to challenge HBO's dominance. They had Nip Tuck on TV as well, but The Shield was the one that really got FX a lot of attention um, in getting Emmy nominations and making people think, like, man, they can do the kind of, this kind of HBO stuff on cable as well because it just broke so many rules and had so much raw graphic stuff in it that you never had seen on uh, on cable TV even at that point. So I just spent, you know, the last three months watching the show and loving almost everything about it. I, I That's how long it took me, about three months to get through the seven seasons of the series on Hulu. The Shield is a constant cat and mouse game. And it always has like multiple storylines being juggled at once, many of which are going to be wrapped up by the end of the episode, but plenty of others that take entire seasons to unfold and one big storyline that takes the entire series to unfold. So it's got that police thing where they're working on one single case and you want to know how that's going to go, one murder, whatever it is. But then there are all these, you know, character storyline arcs that are happening that take a lot more time to wrap up uh, over time and and not even the cases all wrap up in a week. I thought that was interesting about the shield as well because I mean, I'm well-versed on procedural television shows, and pretty much a rule of them is you got to have one case that's going to resolve, start and resolve in a week because some people may be watching the show for the first and only time, and they want to feel a little bit of satisfaction. But The Shield would have single cases that took, you know, three, four, you know, five, six, seven episodes sometimes to be solved. Uh, and, you know, you'd have several suspects that you thought had done it and you thought you had figured it out. And then it was solved and it's, you still weren't like the detectives weren't all satisfied and patting each other on the back. I mean, that just wasn't in the end, what really mattered. They were just so scarred from what they had seen and the crimes that were on this show. Cause it's set in Los Angeles following a bunch of detectives that work out of this old church. It was a former church that the city of LA turned into uh, a, a police precinct and they call the place the barn 
uh, because the district of Los Angeles that they're in is called Farmington. So it's called The Farm. And it's a fictional area of L.A. It's not a real place, but it's based on a lot of real L.A. police work and a lot of real things that have happened in Los Angeles. A lot of rip from the headline kind of stuff. But then they'd crank it up even a little bit more, make it kind of more extreme. And the cases that they get into, I mean, it's not just like so-and-so gets shot and killed. Who shot him? I mean, it's really crazy stuff. It's like somebody's chaining kids up down in a basement and using them for sex slaves. You know, I mean, we got to figure out who this is before we find more bodies of dead children. I mean, it's really intense stuff and really like mentally scarring kind of cases that they're trying to break down. And it has a great effect on all of the detectives. And meanwhile, the main character of the show is this uh, character played by Michael Chiklis, Vic Mackey. And he's kind of this like alpha male, ultimate alpha male detective working out of the barn. A lot of a lot of the people kind of hate him there at the barn. They don't like his style. They think he's too abrasive. He he breaks the law himself too much and but he does make a lot of cases. So the higher up people really like him and a lot of the lower level uh new kind of police trainees really like him a lot cuz they want to emulate him. They want to be just like him. Uh, the kind of that toxic masculinity. They really like that. But then the people in the middle who are like his equals and just a little bit above him, they don't aren't really feeling Mackie. And so they're trying to find ways to bring him down and end his run of like dominance at this precinct. So it's this interesting kind of cop on cop thing, but also they are working, having to work together a lot of times to solve cases. Uh, and you just can't believe the things that Mackie's getting into with his group of guys. Uh, the strike team is his team of guys who he trusts. They're like his inner circle. Uh, and you have this family of, of brothers that, you know, they believe that they'll always have each other's backs and nothing will ever drive them apart. And of course that's true up to a point, but then uh, the wheels start to kind of come off a little bit as the show goes on and on. Whatever happens to me and Mara, at least we'll be together for it. Who you got, Vic? Tell me who you got. You and Queen Bitch are serving your mandatory life sentences apart. I'm going to check in on Jackson and this other kid once a year on their birthdays. I'm going to tell them some good old stories about Ma and Pa. Must their hair. Take them out for an ice cream. And you don't even get to look at my kids! Ever! You understand that? Well, I'll send you a postcard from Space Mountain. But it's just a constant cat and mouse of, are they going to bust Mackey? Are they going to catch him doing something that he can't even come back from or talk his way out of? Or is he going to get away with it all? Um, and that's the, the question of the entire series. But in the meantime, they're solving a lot of interesting cases as they go along. And there are a lot of interesting characters working at the barn. Um, and just some really good kind of family life drama stuff happening as well. But the acting is absolutely superb. Chickless is amazing in this show total like one of those lead acting perform good old-fashioned television lead acting performances where there's one guy can dominate the whole show but then you have this great cast it's a lot like the sopranos in that way because for as great as james gandolfini is in the sopranos and he is he's he's unbelievable how good he is in that show the sopranos wouldn't be nearly as good if it weren't for that really fantastic cast all around him and even if a couple of the actors aren't up to snuff you're able to overlook them because there's so many other great actors around them. So it makes the whole unit look good. And that's what's happening on the shield as well. But I really liked all the actors on this show. There weren't, there wasn't anyone that I thought, you know, could have done a better job. Walton Goggins is in the show as well, has a, a major role uh, as Chickless's kind of, as Vic Mackey's like right hand 
guy, like his best buddy. Um, so they have this really tight brotherhood, but you know, the, the, the kind of ties binding them together start to get a little frayed as the show goes on and then they become adversaries. So, um, it's just amazing. But those two guys really across the board are fantastic, but all the other actors are great too. CCH Pounder, um, who, if you look her up, you've probably seen her in other things. She's a great character actor, but she's really, she's got kind of a lead performance in this show and she's wonderful. She's like, uh, kind of the anti Vic Mackey. She really you know, plays by the rules and really just is dying to bring him down. Um, but she's a great, obviously, detective as well. Al Capote made money by giving people what they wanted. What people want these days is to make it to their cars without getting mugged. Come home from work, see their stereo still there. Hear about some murder in the barrio, find out the next day the police caught the guy. If having all those things means some cop roughs up some nigger, some spick in the ghetto, well, as far as most people are concerned, is don't ask, don't tell. Jay Carnes is really good. They play a couple of partners. They're kind of the most honest cops in the entire building. Benito Martinez is really good in this show as well. The wishy-washy politician who was the captain at the barn, who you know claims to be always you know be after Vic and and the strike team guys, but he's happy to use their force to get himself into favorable situations and to make his own stats look good uh, when he's leading the barn there. So uh, there's a lot of this show is so much about hypocrisy and people living double lives and trying to fool themselves into thinking that they are great people when really they're like human trash and they do awful things. Uh, but then they're always able to kind of make a deal with themselves and explain their way out of it. And that's what Mackie's the master at. He's just able to always do no matter what horrible thing he does, he's able to explain his way out of it. Uh, because he's very smart and he knows how to manipulate people. He's ultimately manipulative and he can manipulate himself as well into thinking that what he's doing is, a, you know, just the ends justify the means so that if he's kidnapping people or he's killing a gang member himself, he's taking a guy off the streets. He's not just going around the, you know, he's not just becoming a murderer himself and taking justice into his own hands. He's doing something good ultimately for the community. So it's a really interesting show about how you can delude yourself uh if you need to and that's what all almost all the characters on this show are doing i would probably say all of them are actually at some point they're all kind of diluting themselves to something terrible in their own lives uh, as the show goes on and with cop shows you kind of get all these great one-off performances it's one of my favorite things about watching a procedural because you'll get these one-off guest performances from people who come in playing attorneys or playing criminals that cross paths with the main characters. And this show has a bunch of those also. The people who were just brought in for a single episode all really do a nice job getting into how intense the whole, the feeling, the gritty feeling of this show is. I imagine that would be hard to be a one-off actor on a show like this that's so just nonstop intense in your face the whole way. But they really did it. They did a great job casting all those little roles. It's the situations, though, that just kept me gripped in The Shield the whole way through. Like I said, these gritty, awful crimes that you would never see played out on a network cop show in the kind of graphic detail that's used in The Shield and with the kind of consequences that are used in The Shield. Because, again, on these cop shows, you've always got these bad, really bad guys and, oh, they might kill some people. But, you know, there are certain people that are never going to be victimized. And if they are, then justice is going to be brought and we're all going to feel good at the end of the day. But that's not really how it goes on this show a lot of ways. This show never gets to the level of, I wouldn't say that it gets so deep 
character wise to into the level of like the Sopranos or Mad Men or Breaking Bad, uh, as far as getting into Mackie's head, especially, but it's more of a plot driven show than the Sopranos and Mad Men especially are. It's not more plot driven than Breaking Bad because I would say, I would say that Breaking Bad is probably the most plot driven show in the history of television. I mean, that show had a plot from start to finish. That was its main drive. And then the characters getting into them was also something we did along the way. But uh, the show is more of a plot show than it is a, a deep kind of character exploration. We don't get into like his dreams. We don't see what's haunting him in the middle of the night. We don't see him hanging out at home that much, finding out what he does when nobody else is looking. But Mackie is one of these great anti-heroes from this generation of TV characters that were full of anti-heroes. The anti-hero leading a TV show has become a bit of a cliche at this point. But it was characters like Mackie that made it a cliche uh, because it was so gripping and people were like, man, I want to watch shows with these bad guys as the lead characters. And he's a, he's a um, you know typical example, a prototypical example of that. It's done really well because you do feel yourself rooting for him almost all the way. And I actually rooted for Mackie all the way through the show, even in the last episode, even as things were really getting bad. I kept rooting for him, and I think it was because Chickless was just so... Uh, charismatic and uh i don't know i just had found myself liking him as as the show went on the funny thing about this show is that you'll find yourself feeling like a scumbag as you root for these guys as they go on because i mean if it was any other show you'd be rooting against mackie and his guys the whole way but since the way this show is framed you're kind of rooting for them as it goes on and there are moments that make you cringe but in the end i think you're ultimately in their pocket so you're kind of complicit uh, complicit in the whole thing as well the last season like i said makes it pretty tough to root for him it was kind of the way the wire went with mcnulty in its final season if you ever watched the wire i'm not going to spoil it for you but that last the fifth season of the wire made it to where no matter how much you apologize for mcnulty as you went on how much you liked mcnulty you just couldn't really get on board with what he was doing in the final season. And it kind of made you feel gross. That sh the final season of that show always made me kind of sick to my stomach uh, with the things that he was doing in the name of, you know, getting overtime for other police officers. But I still had uh, Mackie's back and I wanted him to get out. Okay. Even when I thought he was a total asshole. So it was just really interesting writing and manipulation on the part of the writers because they knew exactly what they were doing. Uh, this is going to be a bold statement here. Um, but I, I would say, and I've had some time to think about this now. I would say that the shield had the best series finale that I have ever seen. So if you need a reason alone to watch this show, if you're fascinated by closure, closing, uh, episodes in tv you must watch the shield because I'm, I'm telling you i don't think any series has ever done a finale better than the shield has done it i'd even take it a step further and i would say that it had the best bookend episodes of any show i've ever seen because i think the pilot was incredible as well but the finale is just absolutely mind-blowing how it tied things together the places it took things uh the way it made you feel just I, I was blown away by this pilot. I could not shake the feeling it gave me for like two weeks after I had seen it. I kept thinking about it, reading about it, reading about what went on in the writers' heads as they were coming up with this. And it was just amazing. When you think about great bookend episodes, I always think of The Wire. 
again, hate to keep bringing up The Wire, but that comes to mind as a show that to me has an amazing finale and an amazing pilot as well. Breaking Bad is another one. Great pilot, great finale. Everything in the middle is great, but those two episodes were just perfectly done. Six Feet Under and The Sopranos are up there. I think think Six Feet Under definitely is up there. Amazing pilot, amazing finale. Amazing few last few minutes of the finale. The whole final episode isn't quite as memorable as the actual finish of the Six Feet Under finale is, but it's a great finale regardless. Total genius. The Sopranos less so. To me, the finale I think is incredible, but the, the pilot of The Sopranos to me has never been one of the best pilots in the history of TV. It's really good, but it's not as good as where the show would get because I think they were still trying to feel that out a little bit. They were, they hadn't gone all the way yet, but the shield did them both as well as any series I've ever seen. The first episode pulls such a big shocker on you in the final seconds that you would never see coming. If you had been used to watching cop shows up until 2002. And I would say, even now, if you watch the shield pilot right now, without reading about it, you will not see the ending coming at all. And it sets such a deep hook that really affects the entire rest of the show Um, that I consider to be one of the strongest pilots ever. But it's that final episode that was a legitimate masterpiece in every way. Um, As I was saying about the Six Feet Under finale, everyone loves that finale. I do too. But really just an incredible final 10 minutes. The rest of it a little forgettable. But the Shield finale feels like a 90-minute movie. That's how long it was. That's just loaded with plot and character payoffs that blow you away. The way they handle what happens to this alpha male corrupt cop, Vic Mackey, in the end, is so ingenious and cruel that you would never see it coming. The only person I could see envisioning this ending for Vic Mackey would be Rod Serling, honestly, because it feels like almost a, almost a Twilight Zone finish to this series, but not in a way like don't. It's not like in a like a Saint Elsewhere kind of thing where you're going, oh, this is just too weird. Like they're all oh, they're all living in a snow globe. It's not like that. It's totally in the real world, but it's just kind of a Rod Serling cruel twist on uh, the way they finish it up for the main character. In many ways, for a show that was so loud and in your face, the finale of the Shield was so quiet that it really just shook you up. Every piece of it fit. It all worked. And it had one of the most disturbing scenes I've ever seen in a scripted TV series without question. If you've watched the show, you know exactly which scene I'm talking about in the finale of The Shield. But it was the kind of thing that I cannot believe had never been spoiled for me and the kind of thing that I will never forget witnessing myself. It gave me a legitimate nightmare the night that I watched the episode. This one single scene that I'm talking about in The Shield that is incredibly disturbing uh, and just, I mean, just awful. And I had no idea it was coming. But now looking back, it's like, yeah, I can see it. Uh, but yeah, I had a, I had a nightmare. Couldn't sleep the night uh, that I watched the Shield finale because of that one scene. So it really shook me up bad. Probably my biggest knock against the Shield is that it did back away from a couple of interesting storylines without really touching them again. Like they would start one. In an episode, it would go on for a couple episodes and then it was just seemingly dropped without ever being picked up again for no real reason. I don't understand why they walked away from him. One of the big ones was uh, they got into the sexuality of one of the main characters, one of the detectives, or actually he was uh, just an officer, a uniform officer at the time. And it was, he was, you know, like a deeply religious guy and he was closeted, he was a closeted gay man. 
And the show was really like, it was a big storyline for several episodes and it had a major effect on his work and on his life and his reputation at the, at the barn and all this stuff. But then it was just kind of gone away from without really being mentioned or referenced again until the final episode when it was referenced again, just in passing. Uh, And also they introduced a main character midway through who was played by Glenn Close and the show really found no use for her whatsoever. Close was good in the role. The writers just never found anything interesting for her to do, and she was gone after only one season when she could have really done so much more, and that ends up being really the the worst season of the show. Uh, it's still a good season, but it ends up being like definitely the part where the show slowed down noticeably uh, was that one season with Glenn Close sandwiched right in the middle of the series. I believe it was the... I want to say it was the fourth season, maybe the fifth. I'm thinking it was the fourth season, though. Uh, but anyway, it was just a character that they just didn't have much to do with, and they didn't ever revisit her again. It was like she was there and then gone, and then it was like she didn't exist. So I hate when shows do that, and, and The Shield was guilty of that on this occasion. It, it, I mean, that's Glenn Close is one of the best actors, period, in history, and uh, she just kind of standing around for 12 episodes. So I was... That was disappointing to me. Uh, The creator of the show, Sean Ryan, also made a mistake, I would say, in hiring his own wife and uh, one of his best friends also for two of the central roles of the show. And both of those roles could have gone to much more exciting actors. I mean, no offense to them because they did a fine job in the series. But I just think the character of Vic's wife, uh, who's named Corinne, could have been a much more engaging character if she'd been played by someone like on the level of Edie Falco, who made the role of Carmela Soprano such a an interesting role. I, I think if anyone else plays Carmela Soprano, that's not a role that's really, it wouldn't be that memorable. But I think because you had somebody as good as Edie Falco, who's incredible and just a powerhouse and was able to you know, be smaller physically than, than, uh, James Gandolfini, but able to like give him all that she, he was giving her and be believable in it. She was just such a, like a little dynamo, uh, that I think that role isn't nearly as interesting if it's played by anyone else. And it ends up being just kind of the spouse role, which is always a, a, uh, a role that ends up being in the shadow kind of. And I think in the case of the shield, it definitely was. And, Part of the reason is because Sean Ryan hired his own wife to play the role of Vic's wife. And she's fine in the show, but she's not, like, electrifying in any way. She's just kind of there. She does what's called for in a lot of scenes, but she doesn't give you anything extra. And uh, one of the guys on the strike team, Ronnie, is also played by one of Sean Ryan's best pals. And they didn't, in in this case, they didn't think it was going to be a big role. So he just needed somebody to fill it in the pilot. But then they ended up expanding that role. I don't know how they would have thought somebody on the strike team wouldn't have been a main role right from the start, but I think Ryan didn't really expect the show to get picked up for more than a pilot because he just thought it was too edgy for TV at the time. So, uh, But that ends up being also a role where the actor who played Ronnie ends up growing into it and doing a fine job uh, in a couple scenes, but I think if you had had a better actor like you did with the other characters, you could have had a better character overall. So those would be my big knocks against the shield but bottom line is you need to watch this show if you have any interest whatsoever in cop shows go for it but even if you don't even if you just love intrigue and excitement cat and mouse that kind of stuff uh you got to check out the shield i'm telling you it's worth watching just to see that finale how they build to it easily one of the single best episodes of tv that has ever aired 
uh, and the pilot is very good as well. So you'll be locked in right from the start. I, I had fun all the way through. I, I looked forward to every single episode of The Shield. I had so much fun watching it. Again, it originally aired from 2002 to 2008 on FX. Seven seasons. All of them are streaming right now on Hulu. So uh, definitely check them out. It's The Shield. The only way to get Mac here is to leverage his guys. We're in the middle of something here, Lieutenant. So am I. And it just got derailed because you guys backed down. It's over, John. Sending Lemansky to jail sends a message. We all move on now. And Mackie skates clean. <laughs> this guy, this guy is just pissing, just pissing all over us. And we just smile and lick it up. That's enough. Vic Mackie kills cops. He, he deals drugs. He beats suspects. You know what he did yesterday? He screwed my ex-wife with the sole purpose of making this investigation seem like a personal vendetta. He may have assassinated a gang leader, and that's just all in one day. I wonder what he's going to do today. I wonder what he's going to do tomorrow. This guy, this guy just... Pissing, he's pissing all over us. He's pissing on you. What, what does it taste like? Chief, what does it taste like? Because you know what? It tastes like piss to me. Instantly broke into my uh, pantheon of favorite shows I've ever watched. All right, I'm going to go ahead and uh, toss things over to Andy now, and then we'll come back in a bit. I'm going to talk about something that I've been watching recently that I kind of stumbled into and in many ways has been... Um, like a nice little warm fuzzy companion to me on tv i'll tell you about that and also get into uh, the best thing that i watched this month and some of the movies streaming on netflix and amazon as well coming up after andy take it away mr sedlak one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My name is Andy Sedlak, and I am the music editor here at the Stream Police Podcast. Do us a favor and subscribe to this beauty. We come out with a show once a month, uh, so we're we're not going to be blowing up your phone, and we make no money on this thing. So if you are, are feeling exceptionally generous, please rate us, review us, recommend us. 
That's the kind of thing that helps us gain traction. You know, and the other thing, Clint and I are like uh, fundamentally adverse to promoting ourselves. It, it, it just, I don't know, I don't know. It, it feels cheap to shill your own product. Have you heard me? I have a podcast. Listen to me. My buddy is great and I'm great too. No thanks. It's not our style. We need hype men. And that's where you come in. Get out there. Hype us up. (laughs) All right, let's get on with it. Get on with it. All right, today I want to talk about, um, well, I want to talk about swearing. Yeah. Cursing, cussing, being foul of mouth, bad, profane. I guess you probably know what I'm talking about. Well, we have more ways to describe dirty words than we actually have dirty words. That seems a little strange to me. It seems to indicate that somebody was awfully interested in these words. They kept referring to them. They called them bad words, dirty, filthy, foul, vile, vulgar, coarse, in poor taste, unseemly, street talk, gutter talk, locker room language, barracks talk. Body, naughty, saucy, raunchy, rude, crude, lewd, lascivious, indecent, profane, obscene, blue, off-color, risque, suggestive, cursing, cussing, swearing, and all I could think of was shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Yeah, we're all familiar with these words. We hear them all the time. Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cocksucker, motherfucker, and tits. Now, that was the original list. We've added a few words since then. We've added fart, turd, and twat. (laughs) And I know there are some other words that many of you are wondering about, why they haven't been considered, why they haven't shown up on the list thus far. We're looking at them all very closely. Some of your favorites might make the list this year. (laughs) Asshole, ball bag, hard on, piss hard, blue balls, taint, nookie, snatch, box, Pussy, pecker, peckerhead, pecker tracks, jism, joint, doniker, dork, poontang. We hear these words everywhere, and we're hearing them a lot more in music. We're hearing them a lot more in music. There's just more swearing now than there used to be. And there is quantitative data to confirm this. What's interesting is the increase of swearing in pop music, in pop. Because pop generally is geared toward a younger audience. More than two-thirds of the songs that charted on the Hot 100 in 2017 contained explicit lyrics. More than two-thirds. From 1958 to 2001, only Five songs, five, made it to number one that contained explicit language. But since 2001, that number has increased by 833%. Here's Ariana Grande.
here is Halsey. I said I'd catch you if you fall. And if they laugh, then fuck them all. Here is Ed Sheeran. Don't fuck with my love. And here's BB Rexa. You get the point. There's only been one song since the year 2001 that no number one song that year contained a parental advisory sticker. And every other year, there have been at least 10. And if you're wondering, that year that was so clean was 2012, an election year. Newsweek um, compiled quite a bit of this data recently and even noted that if a song didn't technically contain a curse word, well, many of them were still very suggestive. Can you blow my whistle, baby? Whistle, baby, let me know. Girl, I'm going to show you how to do it and we start real slow. You just put your lips together and you come real close. Can you blow my whistle, baby? Whistle, baby. Here we go. One expert with the magazine NME says a recent spike is particularly due to streaming services. Streaming services bypass radio, and it was radio that mandated that artists provide clean versions of songs. No radio, no need for a clean version. Here's an anecdote um, that I kind of like. The Atlantic reported that in 2009, 92% of the top 10 songs that year, songs in the top 10, of those, 92% were about, and I quote, sex, sexual arousal, or other body parts. (laughs) What is interesting is how certain things are earmarked as troublesome. Words are troublesome. Sex is troublesome. But some of the most terrible things that a human being can go through, loss, longing, heartbreak, betrayal, unfulfillment, aren't themes that people consider problematic. Is the word fuck more troublesome than a song that describes, you know, incurable... Loss in vivid detail. People worry about kids playing with guns or watching violent videos. Some sort of culture of violence will take them over. Nobody worries about kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? It's an interesting question to ponder. Very rarely... Are we, as people, very rarely are we stunned by words. Very rarely. Words just don't stop us in our tracks. Loss. Longing. Now, these things these things are disturbing. Trevor Noah had an interesting take on this recently, about how we're so preoccupied with words when 
They're just other subjects themselves that are far weightier. And they should make clean versions of other songs for other people, like other styles of music. Because maybe like cursing is not something that affects you. Maybe, maybe you don't like country because you don't like heartbreak. So you can be like, can I get a clean version of the country song but without the heartbreak in the song? And then when they sing it, it just doesn't have the heartbreak at all. So just be like, Mary Jane, she, my heart. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't want to hear about heartbreak. It's the clean version. That's what this is. Which would you rather be confronted with, a curse word or heartbreak? A curse word, right? So then heartbreak is more bothersome, correct? Here's Frank Zappa. You have a thing about romantic lyrics, love lyrics. What is your beef with love lyrics? Well, they're not for me. You know, I just think that love lyrics have done a lot of damage in America. You hear these songs about love and... You get this idea that it's going to be wonderful, and then you go out there and do it, and it's a mess, you know, and it's created all these expectations in the audience, and I think that love lyrics have helped to create an atmosphere of bad mental health in America. I just refuse to participate in it. I mean, okay, you take a song like Weekend in New England or with Barry Manilow, you listen to a Luther Vandross song where he says, let me hold you tight if only for one night. Let me keep you near to ease away my fears. It would be all right if only for one night. Now what's wrong with a lyric like that? <laughs> well, let's let the audience decide. Do you think that that's a good lyric or not? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this guy is saying, if I can't have you forever, just if only for one night. <laughs> Why doesn't he say what he really wants to do to that girl? So you mean he really doesn't want to hold her tight? He, really, he wants to hold her real, real tight, you know? The thing is, that the love lyric beats around the bush. Why didn't he say, I want to stick it in there? All right, switching gears. I do want to talk about the Kanye West album. It's called Jesus is King. And in a departure from our previous topic of swearing, there is no swearing on this hip hop album. Stretch my hands to you. Life like this is what your life like. Try to live the life right. People really know you push your buttons like type right. This is like a movie, but it's really very lifelike. Every single night, right? Every single fight, right? I was looking at the grammar and I don't even like lights. I was screaming at my daddy, told me it ain't Christ like. I was screaming at the referee, just like Mike. Looking for a bright light. Seek in a lot of ways, this harkens back to um, the Kanye of the college dropout, while also paving new ground. Think about it. On his first album, Kanye issued material things. He does the same thing here. On his first album, he pondered the state of man and institutional discrepancies that hold people back. He does the same thing here. Perhaps the biggest similarity is that he asks big questions. And Kanye hasn't asked big questions in a while. He's been in a period of self-indulgence for a while now, but he's back to asking big questions. And I've always said that the flow, just purely just the flow on that first album was consistently the best of his career. And once again, that flow is strong. 
Won't be in bondage to any man. John 8:33. We the descendants of Abraham. Yea, should be made free. John 8:36. To whom the Son set free is free indeed. He say the wretch like me. Hallelujah! 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 He's also as vulnerable as he's ever been. And in retrospect, on that last album, yay. Maybe overcompensating a little bit. But listen to the vulnerability on this next song. This is called God Is. Revelation, this ain't proud of dead religion. Jesus brought a revolution. All the cactus are forgiven. Time to break down all the prisons. Every man, every woman, there is freedom from addiction. Jesus, you have my soul. Sunday service on a it's genuine religious music. It is genuine. I have talked with friends about the irony in modern day religious music, how so much of it, in spite of dealing with matters of the soul, is utterly soulless. These praise bands sound like a bland version of Train. That's saying something. A human being's relationship with, with God is the most intensely personal relationship you can experience. Anyone of any faith will tell you that. So why does so much of today's praise music feel disconnected? Just single note and repetitive. Oh my God. Repetitive. And boring. Impersonal. Impersonal. It should be the total opposite. And for the record, the new album from Kanye is personal. It is spiritual. Yes, he testifies. There's urgency. But there are also moments of reflection and praise. It's a quality that Kanye's new album has in common with Bob Dylan's Slow Train Coming, a record that came out uh, back in 79 that was released after Dylan's conversion to Christianity. Dylan's Christian music was confrontational by design, forcing you to ask yourself some hard questions. Something else these men have in common is that their gospel music was just lambasted by critics. Of Dylan, music critic Charles Shaw said in 1979 that, quote, Bob Dylan has never seemed so unpleasant and hate-filled, end quote. Fast forward to this year. Music critic Ren Graves said of Kanye's new album that it was 27 minutes of cliches, half-finished thoughts, and vaguely religious gesturing. The truth is that both Dylan's music and West's music fall into weird gray areas. Music critics tend to be pretty liberal, progressive uh, people who favor those kind of artists. And there's sort of a predisposition to... to uh, uh, internalizing religion 
and seeing it as restricting. What I'm trying to say is I don't know. I, it's just I have a hard time. I just have a hard time believing that everybody goes. I mean, those are those descriptions are so far from the way that I feel like most people would describe either one of these albums. So within the industry, it can be a rocky road. Then on the other hand, they're also outsiders in religious communities. They can't please anyone. I remember telling somebody at uh, my church growing up about Dylan's gospel music. This is back in high school. And I, don't know, I will never forget the way they, they just smirked. Like, sure, kid. Sure. People were smirking at West as well. And he uh, obviously knew that was coming. What have you been hearing from the Christians? They'd be the first one to judge me. Make it feel like nobody loved me. They'd be the first one to judge me. Feeling like nobody loved me. Make it feel like nobody loves me. Like being alone in the dark. If they only see the wrongs and never listen to the songs. Hmm. Hypocrisy. It's about how a group of people that should be reaching out tend to be some of the most suspicious people you'll meet. It's hypocrisy. Christ preached inclusiveness. He had other rules too, (laughs) no doubt about it. But that inclusiveness was non-negotiable. And West, let's be honest here, is totally on point with that. And that's one thing you can't take away from him. All right. Sermon over. These people are powerful. So you say that. Look at me. I work for God. I'm obviously imperfect. Obviously. But Kanye West, the Kanye West, Adidas, $2 billion in debt. $15 billion company, $2 billion in debt. Now I got a $62 billion market cap. That person now works for God. There are going to be some ups and downs. I'm not always going to say the right thing. Matter of fact, it's my favorite to say the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. You do that well. I do it well. Bro. If you, every time someone asks you a question and you try to give the right answer, your life is a test. Yeah. And then you'll never have the right answer anyway. We're human beings, bro. Uh, Jesus is king. Friends, you know all about the stream police playlist on Spotify. Every month we add five new songs. You can stream it at any time by searching, you guessed it, Stream Police. For November of, uh, let's see, 2019 here, here are five songs. First, it's All My Shades of Blue by the Ruin Brothers. I was recently introduced to that song, and I, I just cannot stop listening to it. Uh, second, Michael Monroe and the Telephone Bill's All Mine. I want to tell you now, oh. 
Third, has he told you he loves you yet? By the Courtneyers. Next, from the great Ronnie Spector, it's Who Can Sleep? You'll notice uh, Eddie Money there. We talked about Eddie Money uh, in the show last month. After Ronnie Spector helped Money out on Take Me Home Tonight, he returned the favor there on that track. And finally, from the great Jerry Lee Lewis, it's Loving Up a Storm. When a kiss is a fly like hope, please. Caught in a gust of wind My heart beats fast As a clickety-clack Like a train going round the bend I call that loving up a storm I said that's loving up a storm Well, it's good for you, honey It won't do you no harm When I begin to wear the darling All I can hear is a sound Something touches you deep in your heart Like it's lightning from the sky I call that loving up a storm Oh, loving up a storm That is good for you, baby It won't do you no harm That's it. Thanks so much, everybody. We're going to go back to Clint. Peace. Thank you very much, Andy. And uh, I think he's going to relate to me maybe a little bit on this next segment. But uh, I've always been like a, a real nerd for broadcasting. Just always was. Ever since I was a kid, I was fascinated by it. And uh, clearly my fascination continues to this day. Just bringing you this show every month without, uh, I mean, you know, we don't make any money for doing this show. We just do it because we love it. And uh, we love telling you guys what we think about what's streaming out there for you and trying to, you know, give you some good stuff to watch and uh, give you uh, our thoughts on what it is that we've been watching and listening to. Uh, so it's just one of those things that I've just always been fascinated by. And I think at its kind of smallest, most local level, broadcasting can really be such a special thing. There's a reason why it's lasted for so many generations. 
as a go-to. I mean, there's a reason why the radio is still so important, even though it was like the original method of broadcasting, and it's still around today, and it's not showing any signs that it's ever going to go away. I mean, there's, it's not like there's ever going to not be AM, FM radios in cars. So as long as there are, there will always be people talking behind microphones to people out there listening live. And podcasts, obviously, are great for another reason. I mean, for just the how how niche they are and how you can find whatever it is you're into. You can find a show specifically about that and you can listen to it on your commute, pause it whenever you need to, restart it, rewind, fast forward, whatever. You have a lot more control over it than you do over a regular audio broadcasting. But live broadcasting is so impossible to beat because of the real connection you feel with whoever's doing it because they're doing it right then and you're watching them right then so you just feel connected it's like they're really talking to you and especially if it's a show where you can call in and relate to the person directly you really feel like you're part of it it's just a really special kind of thing it's something I always loved it's why I started my career uh, in talk radio because I just loved that idea that you were talking directly to people and they could come back and talk directly to you with mixed results often, but to feel like you can really be in touch with them. And when I was in college, uh, Andy and I, the way we met was we met hosting college radio shows that happened to be right on, you know, after each other, his show was on, on Tuesday nights. And then my show came on, on Tuesday nights, uh, right after his ended at 6 PM. So that was how we met. We just were kind of crossing pads in the studio and at the meetings at the radio station. And we figured out that we had a lot more in common with each other than a lot of the other people who were there at the radio station, even though, I mean, they were pretty much all great people, nice people. They loved it too, but we just had this kind of uh, weird connection with each other that really went back to, I think the two of us really loving the Simpsons so much. Both of us grew up so much watching the Simpsons um, and hadn't really met a lot of other people that were like that quite as much where we were at. But when I was in school, College radio is great, and it continues to be great because it, there's really no rules on it. There's no strict formatting. The best college radio stations anyway don't really have like a strict formatting. It's kind of whatever show you want to do, you can do for two or three hours in a, in a block, and then the next show will be completely different with you know no bleeding over you know very much. And there's an open phone line. There's very few people listening, very few people calling, so you can always get through and talk to whoever it is and request songs and you have a very good chance of hearing those songs played right away so something really cool about it but I always thought that that's how college tv would be as well when I was at Wright State where Andy and I met I remember we had a tv station there and we were both big involved in the radio station and we were both really involved in the newspaper but neither of us were involved in the tv station and that was because the tv station was just there was nothing there. It was very boring. It was like public access. Uh, we're going to show meetings and stuff like that. And I mean, important things that they did some news, like little show for 10 minutes, I think at the top of every hour. And that was the big thing that they produced there that the TV students produced, but it was nothing like no one would want to watch it. And you got the station in your dorm, like all the dorms, all the on-campus housing had that station on the TV that you could watch, but like no one would watch it really because there was just nothing interesting on it. What I always dreamed college TV would be would be the same as the radio station. I thought it would be like these wacky broadcasters going in there, just these kids who always wanted to do a TV show. They had their friends that they were, that were funny and they would write jokes and they would do kind of like their own little local talk show with guests on or interviewing, you know, fake guests or whatever, just doing whatever they wanted to. Uh, taking the camera out on the campus, interviewing unsuspecting students, just doing whatever they wanted to for like two hours, and then it would be another show. 
That's what I always thought college TV would and should be. But it wasn't like that. Constant interaction with a small group of viewers, stuff like that. Something that you always knew was there. You could just turn on and you would see somebody on the tube that you could see in class and hang out with. And you could call them and see what was up. You know, so it, it was just, I had this dream that that's what college TV was, but it was not. So anyway, I stumbled upon something that is that. And it's something that's been on for five years now, but I had just, I have just gotten into it myself. It's called Adult Swim Streams. And what that is, is it's the Adult Swim channel, which is Cartoon Network, uh, owned by Turner Broadcasting, just at night since I think 2001. And I remember stumbling on Adult Swim itself when I was uh, a teenager. I was probably, it was, it was probably right there in the early days. I was probably 14, something like that. And it was about 2001, 02, 03, something like that. And just stumbling on this block of programming that would start airing at like 9 p.m. on weeknights and would go until like 6 a.m. And they would show like adult cartoons and really weird comedy shows. But in the day when I was watching it, it was pretty much all cartoons. I don't remember anything live action uh, being on there. But anyway, it just felt like there were almost no rules. There were very few commercials on there as well. And they would show like these really weird segues between the shows. It'd be like a nice little nature shot or it'd just be a black screen with strange quotes on it and words that didn't have anything to do with anything. And then it would go into another episode of C-Lab 2021 or Aqua Teen Hunger Force or whatever. And these shows were just perfect for when you're a teenager and uh, you had nothing else to watch at night. Just It all felt very edgy and fun and cool. And so Adult Swim Streams is this thing that Adult Swim started doing about five years ago on its app and online on adultswim.com. And it's just what it sounds like. It's like Twitch or YouTube Live or like the Facebook broadcasting, whatever. It's just a live feed 24 hours a day. And every hour, it's a new show, or every couple hours, some of the shows are longer, but most of them are an hour long. And it'll just be that show, and then it'll go to the next show. And all of them are just these kind of weird, strange shows that are recorded, you can tell, for no budget, that are shot like inside of, um, they're, they're shot like inside of a, a small utility closet with a green screen behind whoever's in front of the microphone. Um, and they've got a phone line on the screen all the time, so you can call in and interact with whoever it is that's hosting. Some of the shows have... A lot of the shows actually have the have different um, kind of formats, like weird formats that you would only see in a situation like this. Um, I'll give you a few examples of some of the shows that are on Adult Swim streams. The way I stumbled upon it was this show called Truth Point, um, which is supposed to be like it's it's like a really bizarro version of the CNN or MSNBC or Fox News, like news chat shows where you have two people with opposing viewpoints kind of going back and forth and arguing about things. This show is like that, but in a really weird like LSD kind of way where it's all, it's it's scripted, a lot of it's improvised, but I mean, they're not, you have these two guys who aren't really talking about what they really believe. They're just saying weird things and they're going back and forth on nutrition. And, you know, the one guy's arguing in favor of, well, um, you know, I only eat meat. I only drink blood. I eat bone marrow. That's all I eat all day, 24 seven. And that's how I've lived this peak male lifestyle. And I'm like the ultimate alpha male, alpha male. And it's because all I do is drink blood. I don't cook uh, meat because as he says, if God wanted us to eat cooked meat, then he would have made the animals pre-cooked. So, I mean, and then you have the other guy arguing against him saying that the way that he achieves nutrition is that he only eats this 
packet of like mixed vitamins and minerals that are crushed up into powder form. He dumps it into like this chocolate milk fat once a day, uh, mixes that up and drinks it. And that's his one meal. He drinks it, you know, one time a day and that's his meal. So it's obviously it's these really ridiculous stances on serious issues. I want to talk about the history of food because the only way you're going to understand food is if you start at the beginning, the creation, the invention of food. Now, in the very beginning, food was just stuff that you found on the ground. You're a caveman, you walk around, you have the instinct to just shove whatever little thing you can in your mouth. You're eating bugs, you're eating swamp moss, you're drinking piss. And later on, they invent things like pulled pork, brontosaurus burger, cannibalism. But it's estimated that cavemen actually spent 60% of their lives having diarrhea. And the other 40%, they were starving to death. But uh, we've advanced since caveman times, right? Wrong. Well, think. No proof that Fred Flintstone ever existed. All right, you take that up with the paleontologists. Food these days is like genetically engineered by the FDA to be addictive, sedating, and it makes you stupid. Also, now instead of having caveman, you have man caveman. You know, because they all sit in a man cave. That's a, just a little bit of fun. You know, so people these days, they survive on a diet of sa uh, salt, fat, sugar, and non-digestible wood pulp. Fact. A Burger King Whopper contains 800 calories, 500 dark calories, and uses hamburger-flavored meat made from sick horses. Fat. Can I get a... Can I get a... Gong going there. Fact. Fact. McDonald's mysteriously owns the world's biggest tadpole farm in Indonesia. Do I need to connect the dots here? But that was how I found out about Adult Swim streams was this show Truth Point. But then, and it's good. I wouldn't call it like the best show I've ever seen. I think they're still working the kinks out because they're only four episodes into it at this point. I think it'll get better. Um, but I mean, it just feels like a total mess. The show does. And that's what I was looking for. And I'm like, this is what I've been looking for for TV for so long. It's just a network where there doesn't seem to be anyone in control. And people who just have ideas for shows are able to go there and, hey, we've got an hour free here. You want to do a show on Tuesday nights at 9 p.m. to 10? You can do it. There's no rules. You can curse as much as you want. You can show whatever you want, basically. You can talk about whatever you want. You can take calls. You can not take calls. It's all just like total pure creativity. So it's really cool. They have another show uh, that I really like on there called The Perfect Women. And it's this dr three women who are these like I think they're in their 20s early 30s um, I think all three of them are comedians and all three of these women all they do is people send in their social media profiles so they'll send them like here's my Instagram account here's my SoundCloud account whatever and they will judge them harshly and tell them how to improve and get more followers but it's all done like very tongue-in-cheek because Every week, they'll do like a success story segment where they'll look at who they talked about last week and they'll give an update on how many followers they have now. And it will usually have grown by like one, maybe two followers. Like it's not, it, they're not turning these people into viral stars despite all their advice that they're giving them. So it's again, it's all treated seriously, but it's obviously not serious. They, they have a show called As Seen on Adult Swim that I like a lot where they sell, it's like QVC, but like QVC from hell. You have this guy just like down in a basement selling things. Everything always costs $5. And he describes them in great detail. They're like items that have been used on TV shows that are on Adult Swim. And, uh, you know, he 
opens up the phone line and you can call in and buy one for five bucks uh, or you can buy it online for five bucks. And every hour, it, it's it's an hour long show and like every 15 minutes he does a new item on there and tells you how many they have in stock and, and why you need to buy this and why it's going to change your life and all this stuff. Next item is a, it's a, it's a mug. It's a coffee mug. And it's, if you're in a, you know what, if you're in the chat and you're leaving and you're dropping some chat bombs, you may be on this mug. There's a good chance you're on this. There's 400 top chatter names on this. Oh, I, I see one right now. I don't really like that guy at all. I'm just going to mark him out. Um, some of these I don't like very much, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mark them out on my cup because fuck those guys. What do they do except piss me off? Um, I don't like him. Uh, get yourself... You don't have to be in chat to get a chat mug. Maybe you like to... Maybe you like to watch. Mm -hmm. um, I want to... Just hold. Um, let me put this over there. But get yourself a mug with all the chatters' names. It's a piece of history. Um, there's 400 of you on here, and I get, I get, I bet, I guess, I bet, I guess, I guess that if you're in chat right now, you are probably on this mug. I can't guarantee it, and nor do I have the time or wherewithal to look for you, because I don't have my old man glasses on tonight. I can't see. I literally can't. It's just a blur. This whole thing, it looks like, you know when they, you know on the show Cops, when they blur out people's faces? That's what this cup looks like to me. Uh, this cup, hey, I get in that car. That's what this looks like to me, episode of Cops. Uh, get yourself a chat mug, though. You know, it's great for uh, drinking stuff. Uh, you could also, if you're in a pinch, you got to take a whiz, fill it up. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've been at home I didn't want to wake anyone up, so I just took a piss in a mug in the kitchen. I can't tell you. There's a show where they just solve a crossword. Like, they do the New York Times crossword, and in one, it's like a picture-in-picture. Picture. In one box of the screen, you see the crossword, and in the other part of the screen, you see these two guys sitting at a table, and really, they're just chatting with each other, but callers call in and answer questions on the crossword for them so that by the end of the hour-long episode, they have, hopefully, the crossword done. And that's the show! They're just solving a crossword and talking with each other and people can call in and be part of it. And it's just oddly so hypnotic to watch. Uh, they've got a morning show that's on every morning at like 8 a.m. to 10 or something. It's called Stupid Morning Bullshit. That's the name of the show, Stupid Morning Bullshit. And what it is is like the Today Show, but again, like from hell. And uh, they show like viral videos and they just talk about stuff. But again, the title of the show is Stupid Morning Bullshit. And this is the kind of thing that I thought college TV, when I dreamed of what it would be, this is what I thought it would be. But it's actually happening on this thing called Adult Swim Streams. Uh, one other show I want to mention is actually the one that made me really fall in love with this. It was like a, I want to say it was a Monday night, late at night. Um, it like, like 10 o'clock, not late, late, but like 10 o'clock at night on a Monday, the Monday night football game sucked. I'm doing my work. I usually work and watch Monday night football. I just have it on in the background while I'm working because it's an easy way to pass like three or four hours, but the game sucked. So I flipped on the adult swim stream because I'd been watching it a little bit and they had a show on called how to draw and I was like, okay, maybe is this like a drawing, like showing you how to draw, like an instructional show? But it's not. All it is is two guys on the screen together, or I mean, it was two guys when I was watching it, but they change them out, the people that are in it. 
two artists who work for Adult Swim who do the kind of the art and the graphics there. And they're sitting at a table with drawing utensils and paper. And you see an overhead view of what each of them are drawing. And you see them front on. So there's like four screens in one. And they're drawing pictures of celebrities, but you don't know who the celebrities are until they kind of get the drawing going. And you're able to call in and guess it. And if you guess it right, you win a prize and they'll send it to you. Um, so it's just these two guys drawing for an hour. And they're drawing different celebrities based on like red carpet photos. And the drawings are really cool and they look really good and they do them pretty fast. And then you're able to call in. And I was able to call in twice during the show again because there's just very few people watching and calling these shows. So it's, but they're really cool. And it's just what it felt like to me was it was like a companion. And it was like, I don't know if you've ever been kind of like lonely in your life, but I remember in college sometimes feeling this way. And what I used to go to always was Comedy Central. Late at night, I'd get off work at like 2 a.m. I'd work till 2 a.m. on Wednesday nights, or I'd work till 6 a.m. sometimes. And when I got home, I'd have McDonald's or something, and there's no one to talk to at 2.30 in the morning. So you'd flip on TV, and Comedy Central was really great late at night for watching TV. There was just a lot of good stuff on there at 2.30 in the morning. But this adult swim stream is even better because you really feel like it's there all the time. Like you're, There's never going to be a time where you turn it on and it's not there. There's usually going to be a human being on the screen. There's usually going to be a phone number there that you can call and talk to them. And it's just so low-key and laid back. The whole vibe of the entire thing is so chill that it makes it a really cool and, and warm and welcoming kind of experience that uh, is so unique in TV when everything is so controlled these days. But I was, I'm very impressed. I'm really like kind of addicted to watching this now, just seeing there are a bunch of shows, as you can imagine, when each hour is its own show and the shows most of the time only air once a week. There's a ton of different shows, different personalities. So you can find the one that you really like uh, and check it out. And you can watch them all on demand as well totally free. There's not even a login required, which I really loved. I downloaded the Adult Swim app on my Apple TV and you can get it on your Fire TV. You can get it on your phone, uh, whatever. You can get it wherever you get TV apps. Um, and But I downloaded it on my Apple TV and so I'm watching it on the Apple TV. And when I logged, when I opened up the app, I didn't even have to log in. I just opened it up and was able to start watching. And that's Amazing. There are some shows on demand on there that you do have to have a cable login to be able to watch. But if you want to watch these streams, you don't have to log in, tell them your email address, anything. You can just turn it on. As long as you download the app, you'll be ready to watch them right away. And I think you can just go to adultswim.com. So you don't even need to download the app if you don't want to do that. But there's no rules. It's just like free form live television with really no rules whatsoever. So uh, there's a show where two guys just watch live sporting events. And because this is connected with Turner, they have the rights to all these things. And they'll just watch sports. And it's just these two guys talking about what's what they're watching. And it's not really anything too profound. It's just interesting. And it's just kind of fun to sit and watch. And it's funny most of the time. I mean, it's all comedic. So, yeah, I really uh, have been into these Adult Swim streams. I wonder if there's – is there a show on there that you've seen that maybe I didn't mention that I haven't seen yet that you really like? Have you been watching these at all? It's just kind of a crazy, really cool thing that's been happening for a few years that I didn't know about that I just stumbled upon because of this Truth Point show because I heard about it on Twitter. And uh, I, I'm i so glad I found it. It's just a really cool way to use TV. This is kind of what I always dreamed TV would be and that uh, I would be, you know, kind of involved with. So I I really like it. So again, it's the adult, it's adult Swim streams. It's on the Adult Swim app. 
It's on adultswim.com. And uh, check it out. If this sounds interesting at all to you now, some you might think it sounds stupid to watch two guys do a crossword puzzle and hear callers call in and try to guess the answers. And if you think it sounds dumb, then maybe it's not for you. But if that sounds in any way interesting to you, just this rules-free constantly live stream of people doing shows that are somewhat professionally done because they don't look like really shitty. I mean, they have good green screen effects. They have, you know, little theme songs. They have nice looking logos and all this stuff. I mean, it's connected to a genuine broadcasting company. So it's not just like a bunch of dumbass kids doing it. I mean, these are adults who've been involved in comedy and in entertainment. So they know a little bit of what they're doing, Uh, but it just feels very free. It doesn't feel commercial at all and there aren't any commercials that's the other thing uh you'll see like a 20 a 15 to 30 second ad when you first start the stream but that's it i mean you'd be watching for like an hour and you've watched a 15 second ad and that's it so pretty cool i mean not bad at all as far as free tv goes this is about as good as it's gonna get kind of no rules media just freewheeling stuff real quick i wanted to mention a documentary that i watched this month that is available for you as a streaming rental right now unfortunately none of the big streaming services are doing it for free with a subscription but if you want to check it out um this is a movie from the year 2000 and it's called the filth and the fury and this is a documentary about the sex pistols that I had never seen. I've always liked the Sex Pistols music. I shouldn't say I've always liked them, but I have liked them for a while. There were there were you know kind of years in high school where I thought it was just not really for me. But then uh, in college, actually, thanks to Andy, he's the one that got me into the Sex Pistols. I uh, had kind of just I just wasn't really into punk. It wasn't really my kind of music. But he was telling me, I mean, just how incredible Nevermind the Bollocks is, and just the whole story of this band and the the lyrics that they wrote and the power in the music and so I finally gave it a shot just because he told me about it and uh and lo and behold you know never mind the bollocks becomes one of my favorite albums of all time and he was totally right about it but the filth and the fury is about the sex pistols and I would call it the definitive documentary about the sex pistols it was directed by a guy named Julian Temple who was close to the band when they were active which was only for about two years this band was only in existence for two years they released one album together before everything disintegrated like in record speed um and they changed the music world forever just in those two years basically bringing punk uh into the mainstream in the most kind of anti-mainstream way possible Uh, but yeah julian temple was tight with the guys he's good relationship with all the sex pistols members so he's the guy that does this movie in the year 2000 um kind of well after they've come in and changed the game in the mid 70s and uh he shows really good control knowledge of their music not control of their music but knowledge of their music and in this uh, movie it's all very experimental you don't see any of the interviewees he interviews all the members of the sex pistols including sid vicious who had long been dead there's old footage from another documentary temple did with interviews with vicious that are really good but you don't see any of the current interviewees you just see them kind of you'll see their outline and then their faces are hidden in shadow and you hear their voices 
but what you see all the time were just a constant barrage of great footage that was edited by master editors, uh, including a bunch of unseen footage of the Sex Pistols performing live in their heyday. Uh, and newsreel footage of when they were, you know, just the most controversial band on the planet, uh, TV interviews that they had done, all kinds of great footage here. If you're a nerd for music history and if you're a nerd for punk music history and the Sex Pistols at all, you have to see The Filth and the Fury. It's just an expertly done documentary and uh, gets tells you the whole story of the band from start to finish um, and gives you their thoughts on everything, why the band did disintegrate, what happened to them, what uh, made them write the songs the way they did, what made them look the way they did, uh, and just tons of, a lot of good insight uh, into Johnny Rotten. He gives the best interviews probably in the entire uh, movie. I would say that it's very sympathetic to Johnny Rotten versus some of the other guys, but it's a really just cool movie. It was electrifying to watch, very fun to watch, and a lot of good concert footage of the Sex Pistols performing at the height of their power, which is pretty damn powerful stuff. Um, and again, it was a, a movie's called The Filth and the Fury. It came out in 2000. Couldn't recommend it more if you're into music uh, documentaries, if you're a nerd about rock and roll history. Check this one out wherever you can find it. It's st a streaming rental on YouTube, on iTunes, all the usual places. You can find it on DVD as well because it's been out for a while. I used to really get the ump McLaren when we started asking for money, so I stopped asking for it. We never had our own lawyer, which is insanity. That's the closest thing to being in one of these boy bands, is that they all get reamed. And we were getting reamed in that department. How can you be a sex pistol with no money? You ring the office, you get zero response. Your checks weren't paid. No rent, no earnings. A complete disaster. It, it was wonderful. God save the Queen! It was a monkey's tea party. What the fuck was the manager doing? The one that claimed that he was manipulating everything. All right, I watch a lot of stuff every month. You can see all that on Instagram if you follow me at Mr. Clint Davis. And uh, at the end of every episode, I like to tell you the best thing that I watched this month. And the, while The Filth and the Fury was very good, it was not the best thing I watched this month. The best thing I watched was a 1971 movie called McCabe and Mrs. Miller. This came from director Robert Altman. And uh, if you... You know, haven't seen Altman. I don't know what you're waiting on. Pretty much pick a movie and you'll be blown away, though, especially if you watch Nashville or Shortcuts, um, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Secret Honor. doesn't matter. I mean, pick a pick an Altman movie and you pretty much will be in for a treat there. I mean, he, he has his ups and downs like most directors. But if you watch any of those ones I named, especially Shortcuts, that's my absolute favorite of his entire career. But back in 71, kind of in his early days, uh, he did the MASH movie as well, which was kind of what put him on the map. He did a Western called McCabe and Mrs. Miller. And this movie took the Western in an entire new direction that had never been approached before. It gave us this dirty and grimy look at pioneering and at settling the West um, in a way that those movies from John Ford just didn't, because those movies looked gorgeous, right? He just made the West look beautiful, and he made it look like a place you wanted to be. It was rough and tough, but the heroes always got the, you know, always won in the end of the day, at least if the heroes to you were these white guys on horses with guns, uh, then they always ended up winning the day, and the bad guys went away, and everything else. So it was all very simple in the Western genre for a long time, but in 1971... Robert Altman does the Western in only a way he could do it. And it it is so 
uh, you can just kind of taste and feel and smell all the sights and sounds that are in this movie, in this gross little town that's being built. And what the movie is about is it's about a guy named McCabe, who's played by Warren Beatty, um, who is kind of a, I don't want to call him like a con man because he's not. He's just a slick businessman, really. And he wants to help build up a new settling town and make it into some big attraction for people to come to. And he wants to put in, you know, a, a great place for people to play poker and a restaurant and a nice inn. And he, he obviously, you know, back in the old days, you got to put in a nice whorehouse if you're going to have a, a, a settle a town for everybody to come to. So he does that with a woman who's named Mrs. Miller. And she's this British woman who comes to town and tells him that the way they're running the women when she gets there is completely obscene and doesn't work at all. And she knows better and she's going to show him how to make a lot of money off of these women and also make them happier in the process. So it's a good movie just about raising a town from dirt into a place that people want to come to. That's really what the heart of this movie is all about. But what, what McCabe and Mrs. Miller felt like to me was a blueprint for the show Deadwood and I've been watching the show Deadwood right now for a while, too, trying to uh, finish that up. And McCabe and Mrs. Miller feels like Deadwood 30 years before Deadwood. It's got constant profanity. Um, it's got a, a show that's more about capitalism, a movie that's more about capitalism, I should say, than about, you know, battling Indians or whatever and, and fighting for land. It's more about industry kind of crushing the individual and crushing the, you know, the, the rugged spirit of a pioneer than it is about, um, you know, these bad guys coming in with their guns and trying to take your land. It's really just about the spin of progress and how that does leave some people crushed under the wheels. Uh, also, like I said, a whorehouse is the center of the action. And that's, again, that's part and parcel for what happens in Deadwood as well. Julie Christie, who plays Mrs. Miller, magnificent. And this part uh, that Warren Beatty plays, so against type for him. Just feels like a part that I would not have imagined casting him in at the time when he was one of the biggest stars on the planet. Uh, but he's perfect in it, and it's the rare Western where the hero of it is not somebody who's into shooting. He's not a violent person. He doesn't want to get involved in violence um, and doesn't do it until he absolutely has to. So it's a really um, just fascinating movie where there's all this dialogue happening in the background in every scene, and it doesn't really matter like you don't need to hear every line that every character is saying to get what's going on and it's just this movie is about plunking you down and making you part of the community making you a witness as to what's happening in this town the exciting things that are happening and also the uh the threat of of capitalism and industry crushing it uh before it really becomes something truly special so mccabe and mrs miller from 1971 never seen a western quite like it uh and i really really did enjoy it. I wouldn't say it's for everybody. It's a little experiment, a little artistic, but a uh, very, very good movie if you're willing to take a chance on that kind of thing. Listen, Mr. McCabe, I'm a whore and I know an awful lot about whorehouses. Well, I know that if you had a house up here, you'd stand and make yourself a lot of money. Now, this is all you've got to do, put up the money for the house. I'll do all the rest. I'll look after the girls, the business, the expenses, the, the running, the furnishing, everything, and I'll pay you back any money you put in the house says you won't lose nothing. And we'll make it 50-50. Uh, excuse me, you know I already got a whorehouse operating. Ah, you can't call them crib cows, whores. I'm talking about a proper sporting house with class girls and clean linen and a proper hygiene. 
Well, I, I don't think you're going to find my clientele up here uh, too interested in that sort of thing. They will be once they get a taste of it. I'm telling you, with someone up here to handle all them puntless properly, you can make yourself at least double the money you make on your own. Oh, now, what makes you think I ain't thought of that already? Uh, them tents, you know, it's just uh, temporary. What do you do when one girl fancies another? How do you know when a girl really has a monthly or when she's just taking a few days off? What about when they don't get their monthlies? Because they don't. What do you do then? I suppose you know all about seeing that. And what about the customers? Who's going to skin them back and inspect them? You going to do that? Would you? Because if you don't, this town will be clapped up inside of two weeks if it's not already. All right, let's talk about some movies now streaming right now on Netflix and Amazon before... I send you out the door for another month. All right, I always give you something funny and something serious streaming on Netflix and Amazon. Let's start with something funny on Netflix. Uh, Netflix had a good month of adding movies, and one of the better comedies, even though this could also be called a dramedy, is 1998's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. If you've never seen it, you know, drop some acid, smoke a joint, and watch this movie. Johnny Depp and Benicio Del Toro stumbling through the uh, Nevada desert, uh, in a story that was written by the incomparable Hunter S. Thompson, and he is the main character of the story, and Johnny Depp plays him very well. So Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, unlike many big studio, big star movies you're ever going to see. Gary Busey also had a very uh, memorable cameo, uh, small role in this movie. Something serious for you on Netflix. I'm going to give you a very serious movie, also from 1998, American History X, Tony Kay, one of the most intense directors in the history of cinema. The guy's only done like two movies in his whole career because he just, he puts it all into him, man. And I think he just exhausts himself and he exhausts us by watching him. But American History X is a heart-wrenching, very tough movie to watch about racism, about the you know rekindling of neo-Nazism. And again, this was in 1998, but it was ahead of its time. Um, and it's also one of the more brutal prison movies that I've ever seen. There's a lot happening in this movie. It's Edward Norton, probably his finest work. Um, and uh, Edward Furlong is very good in this as well. And so is Stacey Keach. Very good cast. Really intense movie. And uh, Tony Kay, man, he's just a, he's, he's kind of a one-of-a-kind filmmaker. But it's streaming right now on Netflix. Definitely recommend you check out American History X if you have the stomach for it. Netflix also added Rosemary's Baby and Rebel Without a Cause if you're looking for two other bonus uh, really good dramas to watch right now as well. On Amazon, something funny for you. Not exactly funny, not like comedies, but Amazon did add all of the pre-Daniel Craig Bond movies to its lineup. So if you've been wanting to catch up on Bond, and Amazon did not add very many good comedies this last month, so I'm going to give you the Bond movies, all of them, but the ones I totally recommend. I've, I've watched all the Bond movies I've watched all of them multiple multiple times. I love that series. But my absolute favorite ones, 1963's From Russia With Love and 1969's On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Can't recommend them anymore. Check those out if you want to see, uh, you know, what kind of made Bond into the phenomenon that it was for so many years and kind of has become again. And something serious for you on Amazon from 1974. I've said it before. I think it's the best movie of the 70s, even better than The Godfather. Chinatown is now streaming for you on Amazon Prime. Movies just don't get a lot better than this. I would put it right there with the absolute best movies ever made. And like I said, I think it's the best movie of the whole decade of the 70s, which I consider to maybe be my favorite decade of filmmaking ever. Uh, Roman Polanski was just at the top of his game when he made this. Nicholson is is thrilling in it. 
Um, John Houston is as creepy as any villain has ever been. Faye Dunaway is flawless, and it's uh, just a heartbreaking, intense, mysterious movie with so many moving parts, such great, lush music, beautiful cinematography, old-fashioned movie making, but done in the 70s, so it's gritty and it's uh, R, you know, hard R-rated. But I just can't get enough of Chinatown. I love this movie so much. It's one of my absolute favorites, and it is right now on Amazon. If you haven't watched it, just do yourself a favor. Check it out. I know when you, these movies that you've heard a ton about, if you never watched them, you kind of think, hey, there's no way it can live up to the hype. I mean, I've heard too much. Who cares? Don't do that with Chinatown. Uh, give it a watch. I, I'm guaranteeing you it'll be one of your favorites, especially if you like detective movies at all, because it's just a big P.I. story. Um, but what is being investigated is more important than just a single murder or something like that. There's more at stake in Chinatown than that. All right, that's going to do it for another edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us again this month, my dear friend. And I do mean that. Always glad to uh, uh, to bring you this show every single month. We really look forward to it. Again, I'm Clint Davis. I talk movies and TV here on the show. And you can email me at theclintdavis at gmail.com. T-H-E, clintdavis at gmail.com. You can follow me uh, on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Clint Davis, M-R Clint Davis. And Andy Sedlak, I want to thank him again, our music man, uh, you can email him as well at sedlakjournal at gmail.com, S-E-D-L-A-K, journal at gmail.com. We'll talk to you guys in a month. Until then, stream on. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.